Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. So, so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we read Jeremiah 33 and listen to what he has to say. Father, we come before you, and everyone here loves you, O oh God. We would choose you over anything else. That's why we're here. But that doesn't mean our heart is fully attuned to what your word has to say, or our minds. Some of us have burdens. Some of us have our minds on other things. And, and we just pray, Father, for the next 35 minutes that you would speak to us in a special way, that you would take your word and teach us. We desperately need you. So, Father, God, and direct us this evening. We pray that your word would be seen, that your church would be encouraged. Please do your work, O oh God, in the hearts of the men, women, and children here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it shall be a waste without man or beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or without inhabitant or beast. There shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for a steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. And thus ends the reading of the very words of God. You may know this about my wife and I, but we love those coupons that come in the mail. Uh, you get those coupons for different restaurants, and it's almost a game. How cheap can we eat? And the other day we had these coupons and I was really craving that triple pepper sauce from Arby's. I don't know if you ever get those Arby meal deals. They're really good meal deals. And Arby's has that triple pepper sauce. I, I'd put it right up there with the Chick-fil-A sauce. I know some of you want to throw me out of the pulpit for that, but it's true. 
That triple pepper sauce is absolutely incredible. And I told Danielle, Danielle, I want to go to Arby's. We got the coupons. I want to go. And she said, no, Travis, I want to go to Burger King. And there we were between a rock and a hard place, right? There was a debate and an argument. I dug in my heels because I wanted to go to Arby's. Well, as you know, 10 minutes later, as we're ordering at Burger King, we're <laughs> overlooking the menu with their coupons. And, and anytime I go to Burger King, I got this, this jingle in my mind. BK, have it your way, you rule. Some of y'all may know that. It's on every commercial, and once you hear it one time, you never, ever forget it. It is stuck in your mind. And every time I go to Burger King, I think of BK, have it your way, you rule. I'm sitting there thinking, this is what happened to Judah. Every time you eat at Burger King, I want you to think about Judah now. <laughs> Judah wanted it their way. Instead of saying, God, you rule the universe, they said, I rule the universe. I want it my way. And then you know what God eventually said? Have it your way then. Have it your way. And that's exactly what God did. He turned his face away. He let them have what they really wanted. You want your gods? You'll have your gods. But you're going to serve them in Babylon. You're not going to serve them in my holy land. And they were exiled. And this sermon is really teaching us, don't have it your way. Don't fight against God. His way is much better than your way. And if you're taking notes, I've cut it down to four. There's four things you can see here. One is God's revealing. God reveals things to his people. The second thing is God's face. You're going to see what God does with his face. The third thing you want to see is God's forgiveness. Really exciting point when we get to this, God's forgiveness. And the fourth is God's presence. God's revealing, God's face, God's forgiveness, and God's presence. And as we look at the revealing of God, how God speaks to his people, Pastor David brought this up two weeks ago, and I wanted to reiterate it because his point was excellent. If you remember the, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church was a global church, started in the 1700s. They were united. There were churches all around the world. They started pushing this liberal theology down the throats of members, um, especially doing with the LBGTQ and all that goes with that and the, the gender wars today. And eventually that church split. And I think they didn't realize how many conservative Christian people were in the Methodist church, those who really loved the hymns of John Wesley, especially the, the African bishops who were super conservative and super educated. And there was a major split in the church. And they thought, if we're going to split off from the United Methodist Church, we need to have a doctrinal statement, much like the Presbyterians, because the Presbyterians surround our church government around doctrinal statements. We had the Westminster Confession of Faith. So they sought to write one. Chapter 1 in the new Methodist doctrinal statement is about God. Now the problem is, it's a little different from Westminster because Westminster chapter 1 starts with Scripture. And the reason you start with Scripture and not God is because you can't know God without Scripture. Now you could generally know Him. You know that God provides. He gives us trees. You, should, you know that God exists, but you can't know Him specifically unless He reveals Himself. And the way He reveals Himself in a special way is through Scripture. That is the reason chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is talking about Scripture. But as you know, 
In times past, God spoke to the prophet and through people in many different ways. And look at one way which he speaks in verse 1, chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time. Remember the first time was with the creepy cousin that wanted him to buy the land? That was the first time. This is the second time. While he was still shut up in the court of the guard. He's still in prison. You could just do a whole sermon one day on God's word has no bounds. He can go through prison doors. It doesn't need. God does what he wants to do. But he comes to him and he speaks to him in a special way. Remember, God at one time spoke in various ways. And at many times, Hebrews 1.1 tells us. And to the prophets. Somehow God would either audibly or through visions or through impressions upon his heart, somehow the prophet would get God through other means. Now he has given us his son. And, and you know John 1 says the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. He is the logos. He is the word. God now speaks to us through his word. This is how he speaks to us. But, but we're talking about Jeremiah here which God spoke to in different ways. Verse 2, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The reason I'm speaking about revelation and how God expresses himself and, and how God speaks to people is because people will take this verse and they'll tell you all kind of Gnostic beliefs. Gnostic meaning knowing like things that you can't know, things that are hidden are now revealed. Let me tell you some secrets about God that you can't really know. People will take this verse and say, look, it happened to Jeremiah, it can happen to you. Well, let me explain to you how God works. The Holy Spirit still gives you things that were once hidden. He just does it through his word. This is why John 16 says, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Have you ever read your Bible and you're like, what? You start calling people on the phone. My wife will say, Travis, I got to talk to you. Right? David, call me. David Sinner. Travis, I got to talk to you. I do the same thing. I got to tell you something. I got a text thread that I'll just throw that out there. You won't believe what I just read. I've read this a million times. Why now? Why now? Or I'm going through a situation and God gives you a psalm. You're like, oh, I didn't know that psalm meant that. God still does this. He still takes things that you did not even realize were true and he gives it to you. But he gives it to you through the Spirit, through the Word of God. See, this is the difference. It's not just hanging out in the universe and it's, and it's, and it's completely new. No, it's in the Word. But the application is given to you. God is still speaking, not with new information, but with the information that we already, already see here. And, and it's just fascinating to me when you read verse 2, something that you see here is you see the transcendence of God. That the Lord made the heavens and the earth. He formed it. He established it. The awe and wonder of God's transcendence. I'm not going to re-preach my sermon from Preach, Praise, and Prayer. But God is transcendent. The Muslims would agree that 
their God is transcendent. The difference is they don't believe in his imminence, that you can call to him and he'll answer to you. And he'll be there right with you and have fellowship with you. His eminence, he's not there with you. Well, the reality is that because God is spirit, unless he reveals himself in a special way, you won't know him. And what he has done is taken upon himself a body. And he has come to this earth. He is the revelation. Jesus is that revelation. I can't prove this. But I'm thinking what God is telling Jeremiah has something to do with Jesus. Has something to do with what the purpose of the land is. And I can't prove that. That means you can't prove me wrong either, right? (laughs) But just imagine how much information we have that Jeremiah doesn't. And people say this often, man, I just wish God would speak to me like he spoke to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would give everything up if he had the New Testament. And we have it at our disposal. And we have the risen Christ living in our hearts. May we take advantage of it. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon in which we see God's face. And, and this is, I don't know if I told you this, out of all the bad kings, Zedekiah is one of my favorites because it's almost like he makes this last ditch effort to actually win when all the cards were stacked against him and he was wicked. He should have left and went to Babylon because Jeremiah told him, hey, if you go to Babylon, God will bless you. He's like, no, I'll just stay here. He goes, well, it won't be good for you. <laughs> he tells the people that. And there's this last-ditch effort, and we're going to see that, he's, that, that the people are going to take the houses that are on the outskirts of the walls, and they're going to take some of the wood, and they're going to start reinforcing the walls because they really want the walls to hold against the enemy. Now, let's read verse 4. For thus says the Lord the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead, bodies of men whom I shall strike down on my anger, for I have hidden my face against this city because of all their evil. Um, The walls of Jericho, you remember when they marched around the walls of Jericho and the, they didn't bring an army, they brought, they, they brought trumpeters. You're not supposed to win a battle with trumpeters. I don't know if you understand the irony of this. But I believe the walls fell outward. Archaeology tells us that. And if you ever want to get nerded out, I, I think that's what happened. They were able to crawl it up the walls. But typically, people try to bust down walls. And they were trying to bust down the walls and... The people of Judah thought, well, why don't we tear down these nice houses that has all the cedar and we can build the boards up against the walls so the walls can't fall. That's what we'll do. And if you see the little footnote B, some of yours may not have a footnote. It may actually say this, some translations on verse 5. They're coming to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them B. That is the torn down houses with the bodies of the dead. God says All that work you're doing is going to be filled up with dead bodies. That's really what the Lord is telling them. Your work will be in vain. All the work you do to build the walls up will be in vain. No matter how hard you try, it's going to fail. They're fighting against God. If you wrestle with God, you will lose. 
Ask Jacob how it turned out. You will lose when you wrestle with God. They're wrestling with God. They want it their way. And even to the end, though Zedekiah is fighting this last-ditch effort, they're, let's take down the houses and let's put some wood up against the walls and maybe we can stop them from coming in. No. Your dead bodies will be filled up around all those houses. Why? Because ultimately God says, I've hidden my face from this city. You never want God's face to be hidden from you. If you know the difference between a benediction and a doxology, when, when we sing the doxology, we sing it on Sunday mornings, we sing a doxology to the Lord, we praise Him from whom all blessings flow. We are praising Him. We are giving Him praise. But the benediction is God, through the elder, giving you blessings. So we bless God in the doxology, and in the benediction, we lift our hands and we receive a blessing. And that comes from the Aaronic blessing, where Aaron said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's at the end of the sermon, after we've praised the Lord, and before we walk out of the doors to go live our life for the Lord Jesus Christ, we get a blessing. We want God's face to shine upon us. That's really what we get. And if you remember, God hid his face because of all their evil. You don't have to be a good preacher to make that jump to Jesus. Because we're just as evil and wicked. How does God shine his face upon us? It's because that evil and that sin that we have was placed upon Christ. And he's good. We've seen God's revealing. We've seen his face. And now let's look at his forgiveness. Verses 6 and 7. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing. Speaking about the city, he's going to bring it to health and healing. I will restore them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. Last week, I pled my case about the prosperity gospel. And I told you, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Hagin, they were half right. <laughs> you will get your blessings. You will get your prosperity. You'll even get your healing. It just won't be on this earth. It will be in the next world. You'll be healed one day. Any ailment you have in your body, you'll have a new body one day. If your mind is messed up, guess what? The Lord is going to give you a new mind. Everything, no matter whether you're lame and sick, it doesn't matter. God is going to restore you. The people who have hurt you intentionally, you may not see justice on this earth, but let me tell you, there will be a judgment day and they will stand before the Lord and they will give an account. You can bank on that. God will give you justice one day, the right way. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay and one day, all wrongs will be made right. Everything will be restored. The land is a picture of heaven. And since the land's a picture of heaven, God gave them a little bit of restoration and justice just on this earth as a picture. It's important to understand that because the land right now is decommissioned. 
If you don't understand it's a picture of heaven, Jeremiah means nothing to us. Why are we even preaching today? Why are we even talking about it? Why do we read about the Exodus? Pastor David, read something else. No, it's applicable to us today because we are still God's people. And they're pictures of teaching us the land is about heaven. It's about you being with the Lord. And he can do this. He can rebuild. He can restore. Why? Because look at verse 8. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Now, if you read this in the King James or the NIV, I think it's a little more accurate. The NIV says, I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me, and I will forgive their sins. King James does the same thing. NASB does the same thing. They're all trying to make sense. But you see two types of sins here in this passage. The two types of sin is you see a singular sin, the guilt of their sin, and then you see the guilt of their sin and all the rebellion. And it's really important what Jeremiah is saying here. He's talking about these two different types of sin. Phil Riken really brings this out in his commentary on Jeremiah. And he speaks about this is vitally important because the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of the guilt of sin and actual sins. To make it real simple, it's the, the guilt and corruption that we inherited from Adam. That is the guilt of our sin. When you are born, you have a federal head, federal representative, and that's called Adam. We are all in Adam. When Adam sinned, all of humanity, all of humanity, every person that has a natural-born mother, natural-born father, receives the guilt and corruption of Adam. We all died in Adam. I know some of you may say, well, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, this isn't fair? That when you're in Christ, he's your federal head. This is the whole argument Paul makes in Romans 5, is it not? You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But someone will represent you. Someone will represent you. And when you're in Adam, there's a guilt and corruption that is upon your life. And what Jesus does on earth, he not only pays for your sins, he undoes what Adam did to us. When Jesus comes to this earth, he has to undo everything that Adam has done to humanity. So not only is he paying for your sins, he is representing you in the way that Adam should have. That is your guilt. That is the guilt that stands against you. But see, he also not only forgives you of that guilt, he forgives you for all the sin and rebellion, your actual sins, the actual sins that you have, the actual sins that you've done. How many of those? Calvin says, we now see the reason why the prophet used so many words in testifying that God would be merciful to them for their sins. Because they are loaded with many vices, they are heinous, and they are also hypocrites. What Calvin is saying here is, their sin was so great that Jeremiah had to use multiple ways of telling them your sins will be forgiven. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 7 
Um, there's this sinful woman. Many believe she's an adulteress. She's a woman of the night, whatever you want to call her. She comes in and she has this alabaster box and she breaks this alabaster box of perfume and she, she's anointing the feet of Jesus. She's cleaning his feet and she's crying and she's cleaning the feet of Jesus with the actual hair that's on her head. And Peter's just like, whoa, I don't get this. And you got to be thankful for Peter because he asked the questions that you and I are probably afraid to ask of Jesus. Like, I don't get this. Could you help me? And Jesus says, if a man owed a lot of debt and he was forgiven and a man owed just a little bit of debt, which one would be more thankful? And Peter's like, well, of course, the man with the greater debt. He goes, what you just saw was someone who had a lot of sin. What Calvin is saying, I believe what Jeremiah is teaching us, is that when you understand how much sin you really have, and you see that Christ forgives those sins, you'll, you'll be like the woman who, who breaks the alabaster box. But see, when you don't have much sin, then you don't really have a great Savior. I mean, if He didn't have to rescue from you for much, you know, if you're a pretty good person, then your Savior's just not that great, is He? But see, the more sinful you are, the more you understand your guilt and corruption for Adam, the more you understand what your sins really deserve, that you really deserve hell, the more you can really see your Savior for who He is. And you can understand all your sins, past, present, and future, have been placed upon Christ. And you can actually sing this song, what? Though my sins be many, His mercy is more. We sing that very song. You know why? Because it's true. You can't out the grace of God. And for some of you who are going to be preachers, at least one in here that I know wants to preach one day, God may call others. If you don't sound like an antinomian when you present the gospel, you're not preaching the gospel. If you're not preaching in a sense that it sounds like you can just go and sin and do anything you want to do, is that what that means? I said what I said. You can't out the grace of God. I understand sanctification comes in Scripture. I understand it. But the heartbeat of the gospel is God forgives your sins. That is the heartbeat of the gospel. You don't have to clean yourself. I can't wait for Rob's class. I hope he's teaching that on the Arc to Arter Creed, a big split within the Scottish church. And we stand there with the marrow men saying, no, you come to Jesus. Jesus will clean you up. Which brings us to the fourth part of our sermon, which we see God's presence. Verse 9. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Remember last week when I talked about the fear of God? I think I brought up Psalm it was 79 and Psalm 39 where it says, because God forgives us, therefore we fear. I could have just flipped the page and said keep reading, but I don't want to do that because I was going to preach it next week, right? But it says the same thing here. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Do you see the connection between the fear of God and the goodness of God? Because God forgives sins, because He is good, 
Because he is holy and righteous and good to his people, therefore I will fear him. There's a connection there. We shouldn't take the fear of God and just throw it away. That's an Old Testament. No, no, it's in, it's in the New Testament. We should still fear God and keep his commandments. And the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. All those are true. But here you see once again that the fear of God is connected with God's goodness and, and God's forgiveness. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, and the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for steadfast love endures forever, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first says the Lord. The Lord once again will be in this place. His presence will be in this place. There'll be singing, there'll be gladness, there'll be, there'll be joy once again. And I thought about the presence of the Lord. It made me really think about my brother. My brother who passed away in his mid-40s. I remember in his final moments on earth, and I don't know what you believe about when someone takes their final breaths. Are they there? Are they not there? When does the spirit actually come out of the body? We know that when the spirit leaves the body, we learned it this morning, we confess it. What doth immediately go to be with our Lord? The body, still united to Christ, whether it turns to dust, whether you make it turn to dust fast or slowly, it turns to dust, and one day we'll be reunited with, with, with Christ once again. The body always stays united to Christ, but the soul doth immediately go to be with the Lord. I don't know when that exactly happens. There's nothing in the Scriptures. There's not a playbook on that, right? You're standing there. It's like, well, are they there? Are they not there? No, are they look. I don't know. There's a documentary from Randy Alcorn called Heaven. Probably shouldn't mention it because there's some things I don't know about it, but you know what? You can't prove it wrong, right? <laughs> but things happen when heaven and earth comes down and when earth goes up to heaven, things happen. I'll leave it at that. But I remember in the final moments being with my brother, I did not say, go to heaven. I told my brother, you go be with Jesus. See, the presence of the Lord is what makes heaven sweet. You see the presence of the Lord here in joy and happiness. Heaven is not just streets of gold, though there will be streets of gold, and it's just not pearly gates. It's just not meeting your mom or your dad. It's just not meeting your family. It's just not meeting those that have went on before us. Heaven is being with Jesus. And the presence of the Lord, the literal presence of of our Lord and Savior. And what makes this land so happy is it will not be long. Haggai says this. He makes it very clear in the book of Haggai. It will not be long till the Son of God comes walking through in His literal presence. They are preparing, just like the branches, and they're preparing, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is preparation for Jesus. Walking into that second temple. God is going to come to earth and he's going to be with his people literally. Which brings us to our conclusion. 
You can either have it your way or you can have it God's way. Um, I recommend having it God's way. One, it tastes better. It's better for you in the long run. Right? Those things are true. And it seems that we are always wrestling and wanting it our way. Even the reading of the law this morning, I was just thinking of how many times, I want it my way, I want justice now. And we grumble and we complain instead of letting the Lord just work out His providence and trusting in Him that He is good and wise. And what He deems best is that which happens. My prayer is that you would trust Christ and quit wrestling with God. You will lose. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His word.